revolutionary talk for revolutionary times. Promoting peace, liberty, and prosperity around the clock. LibertyTalk.fm. show alone. Wits is at a conference. He's doing some big boy things, whereas I am re- <coughs> returning from a music album release. Pardon my coughing on this show, by the way. I'm, I'm at the end of a uh, nice little cold battle that I did win. I came out on top. I'm here to, uh, to speak to you today and not in the ground six feet under, so I'm going to consider that a nice, nice win to start it off. <coughs> Let's start off with the U.S. Open and looking forward to, or looking towards the Open Championship across the pond. Obviously, the course at Shinnecock Hills in New York got the best of these players. The winning score was plus one. Although, what's amazing to me, and I am kind of stealing this from Pardon My Take and uh, some other barstool sports commentary, is this is the only sport in the world where, one, you can complain at the highest of abilities and get things to be changed the way you want it to be changed and not be fined. I mean... We had Phil Mickelson with an epic outroar. We had Zach Johnson with an epic roar. I mean, Jordan Spieth wasn't really complaining other than the fact that he just knows his game has been really shitty here in 2018. But it's amazing to me how on the final day you saw the scores rapidly change in a different direction. I mean, you had Tommy Fleetwood at 7-under on day four, fighting his way back all the way to the second spot. Brooks Kepka, who won back-to-back U.S. Opens with a minus two on the last day, is the guy who had plus one. It was uh, it's an inter- <coughs> interesting tournament. Let me be honest with you. I think that for a golf course to be that challenging and make it look like we can go out there and post some of the scores they were posting. I mean, we had a plus 21 on the first day. That's ridiculous. I mean, I don't think I'd get that close, but i got friends who I think can put the ball in the hole at a rate like that. But to humanize these absolute star athletes was crazy. It was interesting to see. The golf wasn't as fun, per se, maybe to some, as it looked like with those struggles, it wasn't a very professional game, but I thought it was cool. I thought that when you see somebody struggle, it's how do they get through that adversity? How do they come back to uh, take a lead that, or <clears throat> to compete for a lead? And that's essentially what Dustin Johnson and Kepka did here at the end. Jo- Dustin Johnson really kind of had a hold on the course through the first three days, kind of lost it there on the last bit of day three, and then didn't really hold on in day four. But he is the favorite headed into the British Open. 
and I'm okay with that. I mean, I haven't been the biggest Dustin Johnson supporter. I've really been a Ricky guy, but Ricky had a plus 14 on day three or four. It was day three because he made the cut. <laughs> but Ricky's day three performance was absolutely atrocious. Took me out of the pool. I mean, I did have Charlie Hoffman, who had one of his classic um, crumbles on day four as he didn't finish in the top five. That was pretty, pretty heartbreaking to me. But we've got <laughs> Dustin Johnson, who's going to be leading the way with the best odds at the British Open at 12-1. to 1. <laughs> And then you have Rory and Jordan at 14-1. to 1. Both guys not making the cut here in Shinnecock Hills. I find it ridiculous. I really do. I know I harp on this every single year at a certain point in golf. But how is it that your top guys can't seem to make the cut at some very important majors? I mean, Tiger, I give the excuse. I, I'm not the one of the people that say, hey, Tiger is back. That has not been my stance. You guys know it if you've listened to the show. So him missing the cut really wasn't that big of a problem for me. But for <coughs> Rory and Spieth, who are <coughs> at the top of their game and are supposed to be the top of the PGA, to be just down and out like they are. I mean, Spieth's year has just been atrocious. Had an amazing comeback at the Masters, but other than that, his potting has been near the bottom of competitors in the PGA. So we'll see. They are <coughs> the second favorites at 14-1, to with Ricky at 16-1, tied with Justin Thomas, and then Justin Rose, at sixteen to one as well, Tommy Fleetwood twenty to one, and Brooks Kepka at twenty one. I think it's interesting they did close really, really well at Shinnecock Hills, and Tommy Fleetwood's kind of been hanging around. He's kind of that name you throw down there. That's a it's a friendly bet. It's a guy who hasn't won one, so <coughs> it'll be interesting to see if he's able to pull off a major in this this calendar year. I mean, he looks like he's poised to do it. You could say the same thing about Ricky, who looked poised to do it at the Masters. Maybe they'll both fall off at the British Open, but who knows? Um, golf has been definitely interesting. I, I think it's crazy that it's the first time since the 80s that we've had back-to-back U.S. Open champions, or the same U.S. Open champion, so that was cool, and congratulations to Brooke Kepska on that one. I'm still pretty sure I'm saying his name wrong. I'm going to be really real with you. That was a name that was really, really challenging to me. It would have been sweeter to see Fleetwood win it. It's a very consistent name when you have two vowels back-to-back twice in your name. It definitely creates an easier word to <laughs> put out of your mouth. Um, we're going to break down some other news here in a second surrounding the NFL. This is an interesting case. I get this interesting CBS update. Trust me. You know, CBS has kind of been our enemy with their ads. Luckily, today I am in control, so CBS will not sneak past me. But CBS gave me an interesting look into a writer who believed Jameis Winston should never be trusted again and that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers need to be in rebuild mode looking for their next quarterback. Now, if somebody would have said that last year when their hard knocks were going on, completely would have disagreed with them. I thought that that was the team of the future. I thought that was a team that could win 10 games last year. They looked incredible. That was a team I was ready to put all my money on. They absolutely stunk. (laughs) They shit the bed, per se. And now Jameis Winston is facing a three-game suspension to start the season, dating back to an incident in March of 2016 in an Uber car at a McDonald's drive-thru. I'm probably making up which drive-thru it is, but I'm just assuming he's a McDonald's guy. And what's open really that late other than McDonald's? But he apparently fondled or sexually assaulted the Uber driver. Now, here's, here's my case. One, I don't condone any of this. I think it is absolutely atrocious when players believe they're entitled to somebody else's body or entitled to doing whatever they want. So if he is in the wrong and he's found guilty, 
absolutely should serve the suspension. Where I'm having trouble with the NFL here is how quick they are to the draw, how they don't let federal cases or other <coughs> state cases allow to like percolate. That's probably still the wrong word, but allow for them to go through the court of law until justice is decided. I think it what the NFL should do is wait until they have the results because if they're going to punish or suspend somebody who ultimately at the end of the day is not guilty, then one, you're taking money away from a player who doesn't deserve it. Two, you're taking away his ability to play the game. I think allegations need to not be the cornerstone to a three- or four-game suspension, and you saw that with Ezekiel Elliott, who ultimately got six games for an incident that hadn't been proven at that point. So Jameis Winston, I do believe, has a checkered pass, so it makes it a little easier for the NFL to come down on him. I still think they should wait to hear what happens in the court case and whatever is resolved. Um, but maybe I think the writer was kind of right in a different sense. James Winston doesn't look like he's progressed the way he's supposed to. This team does have weapons, but he's not a really reliable quarterback. He turns the ball over a lot. Yes, Brett Favre was kind of similar, but Brett Favre also, at the end of the day, was able to sling the ball in the end zone for his own team, unlike James Winston was able to last year. It was very atrocious. The Buccaneers definitely are going to need some better stuff from him if they want to compete in this upcoming season as they play in a very tough division. But that's all the time we have this segment, everybody. This is the Sporting Edge here with Roz only today as Wits is at a beautiful conference somewhere that he didn't even mention to me. So I will be finishing up the show. Have a good one, everybody. What's up? What's up, everybody? We are back, and of course, we are better than ever. At least I'm better than ever since I'm the only one here. So I thought during that first segment, I'd found a way to definitely get rid of the coughing. I was sitting here thinking, wow, my throat's dry. Let me get water. That should definitely help. But then I realized, being the only one talking, that if I took time to drink water, then there would just be an awkward gap that would allow either you to fill in, like, what the hell was this guy saying? What is this guy thinking? This guy is absolutely right. I mean, I would have loved that, but I don't want to leave you that opportunity or that gap <laughs> to think of something. So the water will come at each break. Hopefully I get into the each segment without too much of a cough, but we'll see how it goes. Obviously, it's time to talk about the NBA draft, which just occurred, and we're literally going to go um, <laughs> pretty much pick by pick, as I will tell you how I feel about these picks, what I've researched, what I've studied in terms of how they're going to be able to impact the team now or if it's going to be later. Obviously, some big news. DeAndre Ayton was the number one overall pick. LeAngelo Ball didn't get drafted. Costas Antetokounmpo was Mr. Irrelevant in the NBA draft, a Dayton boy. It's great to see a Dayton player get drafted like that. He's going to be <laughs> playing for the Philadelphia 76ers, a very up-and-coming team. We got Colin Sexton to the Cavaliers, who's pleading for LeBron to stay. And then we've got the saddest story of them all. <laughs> Mikel Bridges, the hometown boy, drafted to his hometown team and then traded four picks later. So we'll start it off with DeAndre Ayton, who we kind of had this conversation about um, when we first had our draft preview. He was going to the Phoenix Suns. That's the team that needed him. Alex Len hasn't translated to much. DeAndre Ayton is an absolute force at 7-1. Absolute massive wingspan. The guy is an offensive threat and as well as a defensive threat. I know there is some criticism towards his defense. Maybe he's lax. Maybe he doesn't take it seriously all the time. But he was playing against significantly smaller guys who <coughs> didn't pose much of a threat to him. So he did have some nights where he could take off. I think Aiton is perfect for this system. I loved one commentator who said, is this going to be the next Shaq and Kobe with Devin Booker and DeAndre Aiton? 
very young Shaq and Kobe right now, but that is a definite threat with the way that Devin Booker can score the basketball and the way DeAndre Ayton is an absolute presence in the post. I think that was the clear number one pick, and that is where they went. <laughs> number two, Marvin Bagley went to the, or Bagley, I'm never going to say his name right either. It can be pronounced both ways, but we'll go Bagley here. Marvin Bagley from Duke, drafted second to the Sacramento Kings. I think he is a top three player, without a doubt. I don't like that the Kings took him. I'm, this is more, not because of Mar- Marvin Bagley, this is more because of the Kings. The Kings have had an absolutely atrocious time developing players in their system. They've had some great draft picks over the years, and yes, maybe you can blame it on the players, but ultimately when you see continued busts, continued lack thereof of talent development, that and then you put on the team. And I think the Kings should definitely be held accountable for that. Is Marvin Bagley different? I think so. I think Marvin Bagley has the opportunity to be a better piece for this team. But again, they don't have enough around him right now for them to be able to compete in a Western Conference that is currently very, very dominant, if not about to be more dominant when LeBron James decides to come to the Los Angeles Lakers. So Bagley, I apologize that you'll be up in Sacramento. It is not the greatest place in the world. Not a whole lot to do up there. Just stay out of trouble, and in five years, you'll be able to choose whatever team you'd like to go to. (laughs) Then we've got the most interesting conundrum, the Luka Doncic, or Donich, Doncic, whatever his name is. doesn't matter. He comes from Slovenia. He was drafted third by the Atlanta Hawks, but was traded to the Dallas Mavericks. Now, Luka, our boy Luka, is looking a lot like Luka Brasi these days. Adding some pounds on, he's getting a little bit thicker, and... He comes off slow. Defensively, he isn't that much of a threat. I think the Mavericks are grasping at straws. There's a lot of stuff going on with Mark Cuban up at the top. There's a lot of stuff, a lot of turmoil kind of within the whole organization. And they believe that Luka can be the next Durka Nowitzki. And I don't think that's necessarily going to be the case. Dirk, obviously a power forward with tremendous skill. Luka, a shooting guard, point guard variation. We'll see. I mean, they say he can shoot well. They say he can get to the rim. But again, he's playing against competition. The United States just beats on every single time they play in the World Cup of basketball or the Olympics. So I don't think it was a great move by the Mavericks. And I also don't think the Atlanta Hawks got back much for it either. Trey Young was the fifth pick to the Mavericks. That is who is going to be playing for the Atlanta Hawks. There's this allure, this idea that, wow, did we find the next Steph Curry and maybe so, but I defensively, again, he's not quick enough to keep up with some of the top players that play shooting guard and point guard in the NBA. And there's going to be more people and taller people in his face. He's not going to get off the shots he had in college. He's not playing down to some of the Big 12 competition where that wasn't very strong. I mean, obviously Steph Curry came from Davidson, so the competition he faced was not great either. But Trey Young, to me, just doesn't have the intangibles to be another Steph Curry. Can he be a poor man Steph Curry and be around the NBA and be a spot-up shooter and kind of change his game? Yeah, potentially he'd have to change his game, though. I just don't think he's a cornerstone to a franchise right now, so like somebody like DeAndre Ayton or even Marvin Bagley. Um, number four was a pick I liked, Jaron Jackson. I think he's young and raw, a good power forward with a lot of shooting potential. Um, he shot 40% from three and he made 38 three-pointers this past season for Michigan State. Interesting to me because Miles Bridges was going to be this player. If he would have come out last year as a freshman, he was going to be a top-five pick, absolutely. He obviously fell in draft this year. Jerron Jackson going to Memphis, 
Connolly will be back. Marcus Gasol, again, this is a team that's going the wrong direction, and maybe Jackson is the beginning of this new piecing together of the Memphis Grizzlies. But it's they look like they're stuck kind of in a Bulls conundrum where they just can't get out of mediocre or mediocrity. Um, so we'll see how it goes. I mean, maybe they compete. Maybe they have Mike with Mike Connolly a team that is formidable against other Western Conference opponents. But to me, this is not a kid you're going to see popping up on all rookie teams. As not a lot of attention will be given to the Memphis Grizzlies in the Western Conference. We also then have Mohamed Bamba, who I loved. I don't know if I loved him going to the Magic. I was kind of hoping he'd end up on the Bulls, but he is an absolute dominator in the post. Defensively, for sure, needs to work on a bit of an offensive game, but with a 7-10 wingspan, that'll be the record for largest wingspan entering the NBA. He goes to the Orlando Magic, who have Aaron Gordon, had Vukovic in the post. We'll see what they decide to do there. If Bamba's ultimately going to be the starter on day one, I don't know. But that's going to be a big team, and I think they're going in the right direction. Part of me was hoping they'd take a player like Colin Sexton, um, a guy, a point guard who I think is going to develop nicely and turn into a premier leader in this league. But uh, it never hurts to have a piece like Mohamed Bamba. I think that he will be a very, very important force to this team moving forward, almost kind of like a Dwight Howard, but bigger and more efficient defensively. Then you go to Wendell Carter Jr., who I think is, again, another great pick. I think he's going to be durable. It'll be great for the Bulls to have him in the post with Laurie Markkinen. Again, would have loved to see potentially Colin Sexton there. I know they still need to test out Chris Dunn and Zach Levine at the backcourt, but definitely a young team. Maybe looking at another year of mediocrity. I know that word's been used twice now, but maybe a team that's not necessarily going to tank, but isn't still ready for the playoffs, although the Eastern Conference is weak, so you never truly know who's in or who's out of the Eastern Conference playoffs. Wendell Carter Jr., though, great pick. (laughs) And then, like I said, Colin Sexton does get drafted, number eight to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Not enough if you... It wasn't enough for me if you're trying to keep LeBron James in Cleveland. I think LeBron James was maybe hoping that pick would have been traded for maybe a veteran piece or somebody of some substantial role player power for the Cleveland Cavaliers. I was wondering if they were going to be able to package it for Kawhi Leonard, but that doesn't seem realistic now that teams probably won't go after Kawhi knowing that he has decided to sign with the Los Angeles Lakers come the free agency of the 2019 summer. So we'll see there. Colin Sexton pleading his case on why LeBron James should be uh, a Cleveland Cavalier for life. Sexton believes that he's the piece that LeBron didn't have, and who knows? I really do believe Sexton's going to be a top point guard in this in this league. I just don't know how fast it's going to be, and if LeBron's willing to wait it out, especially if the Cavs continue to not support him by bringing in star players around him to assist in his quest of winning an NBA title. We'll see ultimately how it goes down. That's the first eight picks of the NBA draft. This is also the second segment of this show, but we'll be back after the break, everybody, with more NBA draft analysis and my intriguing thoughts on what's going to happen in the future. What's up, everybody? Bubba here. It's finally here. The long-awaited Bubba Report. 
bringing you news from all the trading floors across the globe. We've got Scott Chalady, the cow guy, as seen on CNBC, Fox, and Bloomberg. We've got Keith Bliss, CNBC, Fox, and a floor trader at the New York Stock Exchange. We've got the Badger, who writes the hot topics in the political news. We've got myself putting together my own unique indexes that will help you give you a better idea of what's going on in the market. All you need to do to get a hold of the Bubba Report is go to the Bubbashow.org and sign up for the newsletter, or you can email me direct at Bubba at the Bubbashow.org. We want you to have this report because we've got over 150 years of experience talking about markets, getting ready for the trading, and puts you in the best position to have successful. So email me at bub at thebubbashow.org to get a copy of your report or go right to the website, thebubbashow.org. Make sure you get it. It's a must-have for every investor and trader. The Bubba Report. What's up? What's up, everybody? This is Roz again. For segment number three, it is about 11.15 here in Los Angeles, California. I'll actually be doing next week's show on the road in Austin, Texas, so add it to your calendar map of the Sporting Edge as I will be doing the show in another state. I'm I'm pretty impressive. I'm doing my own little tour, not a whole lot of fan following, but I'm doing my own little Sporting Edge tour around the country. <laughs> but for now, we're going to hop back into the NBA draft. We'll get back to number nine, a very funny pick to me. Kevin Knox, I think, is a great role player, will be a good role player moving forward. Again, not a franchise-determining pick. And I think the Knicks picking him was just ironic. Once again, the pressure will be on this kid's shoulder at some point down the line and just really will not turn out to be much. I liked Knox. I think he would have been great for another team that is kind of past the building part, and he could have just slipped in as a scorer, as a kind of third option type player, but that will not be the case in New York. And then we go to number 10, greatest feel-good story, Mikel Bridges. His mother works as a vice president somewhere in the Philadelphia 76ers organization. They get draft. He gets drafted to his hometown team where he's lived his entire life. He played Villanova or played basketball <coughs> at Villanova. This was an exciting moment. The mother squealing in joy, the son ready to go and play. And you get down the line just a little bit, and he's traded. He unfortunately gets traded to the 76ers. 76ers or the team. Not, no, he didn't get traded to 76ers. He got traded to the Phoenix Suns, who took Zaire Smith with the 16th pick. Zaire Smith, who just signed with Puma, who is a pretty explosive small forward. Has a lot of talent, but... These are kind of interchangeable players. I thought Mikel Bridges was a little bit more ready for the NBA, and I thought he would have been a great fit with the Philadelphia 76ers. But it wasn't meant to be, and he'll be playing with DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker, and Josh Jackson in Phoenix. But right after that, we had a couple more trades with Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who was drafted at the 11 by the Hornets, and then was shipped instantly to the Los Angeles Clippers, who had the next pick, and sent Miles Bridges back to the Hornets. So it was a 11-12 switch kind of trade. One of those trades you like watch the show and you're kind of like, why? what was the point of this? Why didn't the, why didn't the Charlotte Hornets go with their guy Miles Bridges, and why didn't the Clippers go with Alexander? Obviously, the Hornets got a couple other draft picks out of the situation, so maybe that was the goal. But <laughs> to me, kind of a worthless pick. Then the Clippers went with the 13th pick, Jerome Robinson out of Boston College, a playmaking point guard. Don't know a whole lot about him. Played at Boston College. ACC, obviously, tremendous in terms of basketball. He led the scoring in the ACC. So you got to imagine they see something in him. Again, the Clippers are another organization similar to the Knicks that I just don't think ever get it right, so I don't put too much stock in it. 
And then the most important pick, I think, of the 2018 draft, Michael Porter Jr., it's either going to be just a bust and everybody was prepared for it and that's why he slipped, or he's going to be the best player in this year's draft. He is, by far and away, says Jay Billis, the best offensive big man in this draft. He has the best ability to score, and if his back is healthy and he's prepared to be on the court, this guy is going to be the best pick in this draft. And I kind of agree. I don't like that he ended up in Denver. I don't know a whole lot of what's going on there other than Gary Harris and Paul Millsap and Nukic or Jukic, whichever one they have up there. (laughs) But it's like a nice kind of rumbling, dumbling, bumbling, fumbling core up there that just seems to be physical and in your face. But they've missed the postseason, I think, six years in a row. They didn't. They haven't gotten better, and they haven't gotten really worse. Whereas other teams are continuing to build around them. So, Michael Board Jr. If he does turn out to be that next great thing, then that would push the Nuggets ahead and maybe put them into real contention in the West. But as of right now, it can't really be put on his shoulders as he's just coming off of injury. He played three games for the Missouri Wild, <coughs> not the Wild, <coughs> the Missouri Tigers. Um, so we'll see. I think that's going to be. One of the more fun picks to watch over the next three years, see if he develops or see if he crumbles. It's going to go one of two ways, obviously. Um, I'm really hoping for the latter. I hope he becomes a superstar, and I just hope eventually he signs somewhere where it's relevant instead of Denver. Then you got Troy Brown out of Oregon, the shooting guard, went to the Wizards. Kind of an irrelevant pick for me. I don't know what they were doing there with Bradley Beal already under contract and John Wall under contract as well. I think they need some more height. I think they need a presence in one of their forward positions, if not a center. I thought Zagier Smith would have been a better pick here. Obviously, they didn't feel that way, so they went Troy Brown. We just discussed Zagier Smith and his trade being moved to the Philadelphia 76ers. Then we got Dante DiVincenzo, the Final Four MVP taken by the Milwaukee Bucks, arguably one of my favorite teams right now. Obviously, they've got my boy Jabari Parker, who will be the heir apparent to Dwayne Wade when Dwayne Wade does eventually decide to retire. And I believe this is just kind of a good role player pick. I think you look for a guy who can come in off the bench and score for you. Maybe pick up 15 points at its height. But like while this team continues to grow, you're going to need to have players ready to step in in clutch times when your star players are tired or your starters are tired. I think this is a perfect pick here. I think he's beyond athletic. I think he has a great touch. Um, I really like this pick. <laughs> and Miami, not Miami, Utah Jazz with the 18th pick take Lonnie Walker, who I don't know a whole lot about, but when you're compared to Dwayne Wade, that can only mean good things. They say he, among potentially Michael Porter Jr., is the steal of the draft. Lonnie Walker, the shooting guard out of Miami, they say he's explosive, athletic as can be, puts the ball in the net when he's around the rim. I like Lonnie Walker a lot. I think the Jazz could use a player like this to complement um Nope, not the Jazz. The San Antonio Spurs can use a player like this to begin the rebuild when they lose Kawhi Leonard. Obviously, they still have Tony Parker around, Manu Ginobili, some older pieces. They're playing with a lot of young talent right now, but it looks like Kawhi is on the way out. Lonnie Walker could be the next big star to emerge in San Antonio, so I'm very excited to see what this pick turns out to be, especially if he is the next Dwayne Wade. (laughs) You then have Kevin Herter from Maryland, drafted by the Atlanta... Hawks, who I think they traded away. Atlanta don't really know what they did there, but oh well. So he will not be playing in it. Or he 
who's traded up for Atlanta, boom, whatever that case is. Then you've got Josh Okegni from Georgia Tech, taken by the Minnesota Timberwolves. The infamous Grayson Allen, taken by the Utah Jazz at 21. So let me tell you, a guy who struggled maybe with faith, a guy who was really kind of hard to deal with, in the college level, will be going to the Mormon state of Utah. Maybe they convert him. Maybe he becomes a very peaceful-minded man over in Utah. I don't know what his role is going to be right off the bat. I know that Donovan Mitchell, it's his team, so maybe Grayson Allen comes more of like a J.J. Redick-type player, ready just to step in and hit some clutch threes. Bowles drafted Chandler Hutchinson, a guy I had no idea about when Aaron Holiday and Mortz Wagner and Robert Williams are still on the board. Personally, those three names were a lot better to me, especially Robert Williams, who I want to discuss here in a minute. But that they went with Chandler Hutchinson. Aaron Holiday then went to the Pacers. I think that'll be great to give Oladipo a bit of a break of taking the ball up all the time. I think Aaron Holiday can be a premier point guard. If not, I think he'd be a valuable kind of role player point guard, maybe like a Norris Cole or Mario Chalmers to a LeBron James winning team. Then you've got Enfrini Simmons from USA. Not sure where that is, um, or if that's a college, or if that's literally just Iowa country, but he was drafted by the Trailblazers. You got Mortz Wagner going to the Lakers. I think that's a great pick to have down low as they continue to try to find a way to bring LeBron James to the Lakers. And then you've got Landry Schmidt from Wichita State. He will be the point guard drafted by the Philadelphia 76ers. And then my favorite pick of the draft, number 27, the team that I think is the best at drafting players by far and away, not just because of their last season. You look at guys like Jalen Brown, Terry Rozier, obviously Jason Tatum. They added what I think is going to be the best pick of this draft. I said it to you while he was a college player. I told it to you when he was a freshman. I brought it back up this year as a sophomore. Robert Williams, power forward out of Texas A&M, is the man. Let me tell you, he is going to dominate the post and bring a whole new element to this team. He's going to learn from Al Horford. He will be the next Al Horford without a doubt. I mean, that there is not a better comparison in the game. I think Robert Williams is your next Al Horford, who is arguably, an, who's definitely an all-star, maybe pushing the cusp of a Hall of Famer, doesn't have a whole lot of credentials to get into the Hall of Fame, but Robert Williams, love that pick. Jacob Evans, a very tough, strong, small forward from Cincinnati, will be on the Golden State Warriors. Then you got a guy from Bosnia, and Omari Spellman finishes off the first round for the Atlanta Hawks. He will be their <coughs> next power forward piece if they decide to use him. I don't even know who's on the Hawks. I think they got rid of Dennis Schroeder or they kept Dennis Schroeder as their like circle piece. If not, I have no clue. It could be a team led by Kevin Herter, Spielman, and Trey Young. That's like a half a college all-star team. I don't even know if that would constitute as a college all-star team. But that was the first round of your NBA draft. That is all I want to talk about the draft, other than Costas Kumbo from Dayton being drafted. So, heck yeah, go Flyers, go. And that is all the time we have this segment, everybody, here at the Sporting Edge with Roz. We'll be back after the break. What's up, what's up, everybody? This is Roz here at the Sporting Edge. And as I don't do it as well as X or Wits or however you want to call them, the MLB Power Rankings. We're going to try to hold off as long as we can on them, as we are in a very important year. It's 2018, so we have the FIFA World Cup going on. There is no United States in there, so it is slowly dragging on a bit. But 
We have a group that has already been decided through two games. We have Russia and Uruguay of Group A, both advancing with a 2-0 start. They both beat down Egypt and Saudi Arabia. They'll play each other basically in a constellation game prior to the knockout stage. There is no way in which Egypt or Saudi Arabia would be able to come back and make it to the knockout stage. We've got Group B, which still needs to be decided and can be a very entertaining finish. we got Spain, who is with four points as they have a win and a draw, along with Portugal, who is four points with a win and a draw. But Iran is sitting there with one win and one loss, so they're down only one point going into the final days of the group stage. It'll be very interesting to see. We've got a matchup around trying to look up right now. We've got probably Spain playing Morocco. So Spain, it'll come doesn't really matter there other than if Iran and Portugal were to draw, in which case Spain would then I believe would be out. Although I believe they beat Iran, so they would have it would come down to goal differential. I'm trying to learn soccer on the fly right now, folks. I apologize here late, but it'll be Portugal Iran on 6:25, so June 25th at 11 a.m. Pacific time. That will be the deciding factor for Group B. I believe Spain will have no trouble getting past Morocco. I'm looking, for my prediction's sake, I'm going to go Portugal. Spain will leave Group B as the victors going to the knockout stage. Then we've got Group C, who has one decided vote. The France, or the French team, France, is 2-0. and They've got six points and lead Denmark and Australia, who have four and one points. I don't believe... Australia has much of a shot. They would have to be playing Denmark, which I have no clue if that's going to be the case or not. Denmark, with four points, just needs to draw or win their next game to move on. So Group C seems to be a little bit of a lock. We've got Group D, who has one lock. Croatia is 2-0. and They have their full six points, and it'll come down between Iceland and Argentina. So Croatia, who just got their second win, this was actually a very unbelievable circumstance. You've got Messi, who's Argentinian. Argentinian team is now looking at the brink of not advancing. They are they got beat three nothing. You have the best player arguably in the world, and your team got beat three nothing. This is like if LeBron James, who did just get swept in the NBA Finals, this is if like LeBron James couldn't make it out of or got swept in the Eastern Conference semifinals. We'll, we'll be a little nice and keep it out of the first round. I mean, it's ridiculous. Messi has been nowhere to be found during this FIFA World Cup tournament. And you've got the likes of Ronaldo in Portugal, yet who has not yet claimed their group. But Ronaldo has four goals leading the way in this 2018 FIFA World Cup. So Argentina definitely in a little bit of a quandary or a quarrel or some sort of words. I have no idea. They will be playing Nigeria. So they're going to need Iceland to lose or draw following a win by them. Other than that, Iceland will be able to advance over Argentina, which would be a pretty crazy phenomenon. This would be something unexplained. In fact, Iceland has only played one game, and they've played one game to a draw, so Iceland still has the potential to knock out Argentina next game if they win, um, which would be absolutely crazy to not see Messi in the knockout rounds. We've got Group E that isn't so determined. Serbia is the only team with a win. Each team in their group has only played one game. Brazil with a draw. Neymar, who is injured every five minutes in the game, also seems to be missing the point that is the 2018 World Cup. It only happens every four years. He's been letting down his South American team. (laughs) 
it appears to me that Europe Europe continues to have the dominating forces when it comes to these things. But Brazil, Argentina, on the brink of some scary stuff, they're going to really need to pull it together in order to advance the knockout stages. We've got Group F with Sweden and Mexico leading the way. Mexico taking that amazing victory over Germany. Sweden beating South Korea. Germany, I don't have too many fears. I think they'll be able to win out and force a Mexico-Germany rematch in the knockout rounds. We got Group G with Belgium and England at 3-0 apiece. England beating Tunisia in the 91st minute. They were able to capture their first win of the 2018 FIFA World Cup. Belgium dismantled Panama 3-0 in their first game. I think this is going to be a Belgium-England group, and I think they'll find their way out of it. They're both a win away from being able to advance. We've got Japan, Senegal, and Poland, and Colombia in Group H. Colombia, again, one of those South American teams you expect to kind of come out there and perform better. They have not. They lost one nothing to Senegal or Japan because I don't know who they played, but I know that both Poland and Colombia both lost by one goal. This could be a quick exit for Colombia. Poland, not a very strong team, so they're not really going to be in contention. It'll be determined whether Colombia can come up strong against Japan or Senegal. So that's basically FIFA World Cup talk, and I totally botched or butchered most of it. Um, I, I haven't watched a whole lot of it. Let me tell you, most of the games are on way before I'm awake here anyways. Plus, when I'm awake, I have to hitch on over to work, so I don't get to see many of these games. Um, I'm pulling for Argentina. They're struggling, but I'm, uh, I'm going to really pull for them. Really uh, continue to hope for the best for my boy Messi. I'm not a big Ronaldo guy, so if Portugal were to fall off, that would be A-OK with me. So, let's get into Major League Baseball. And instead of the power ranking, since I preferably like to go, the standings are out. We will talk about the standings, where we have the Yankees and the Red Sox, both 50-game winners. The Yankees are 15-22, as the Red Sox are 15-26 here on Thursday, June 21st. Obviously, we're shooting a couple days ahead. But we got the Yankees two games ahead of the Red Sox. They are definitely pulling away 17 games ahead of the Rays and Blue Jays and way too many games ahead of the Baltimore Orioles. They also remain 10 games up on the Cleveland. I know that's not really important, but they are... I'm just showcasing that the AL Central is way behind. Cleveland is 40-33 and 33 at this point. Five-game leads over the, the Detroit Tigers. But this log jam or this river jam or this hard division that Xander or Horowitz or Witz wanted to put out in the universe is really nothing to be impressed with. You've got the 22-52 Royals at the bottom, the 24-49 White Sox who are two and a half games ahead of them. There's not so much of a logjam or a competitive nature in this. I think the Twins have gotten worse. The Tigers are just the definition of mediocre. It's a horrible, horrible division that the Indians should win at least by 50 games. Then you got the West where the Astros remain at the top. Like Xander said, Seattle's going through one of their tougher stretches in terms of opponents. The Astros are 9-1, and one, just lost after a 12-game winning streak. They just picked it back up, winning their last game. They are three and a half games above the Mariners and nine and a half again above the Angels, who are forty and thirty-five. A team that's kind of dropping on their own. They've lost, they've lost seven of their last <laughs> ten. Then we've got the NL with the Atlanta Braves, full three games above the Nationals, who are also three and seven in their last ten. Pretty pretty brutal. Bryce Harper batting under two twenty. It's my guy. I gotta find some room to back him up. I think this is this is ultimately good, if in a bad way, because I would love the Cubs to continue 
their pursuit of wanting to sign him, but maybe now they get him for a discount due to his poor play. Maybe they do a three-year deal instead of a mega deal for seven years just to see if his play can become consistent again. It sucks to see my boy struggling. He did just shave his beard, so I'm feeling pretty confident about the new wave of Bryce Harper. We got the Phillies who are having a good stretch. They're three and a half games back of the Braves. We've got the Cubs one game back on the Brewers. They just lost an ugly, ugly game to the Cincinnati Reds and had a great series against the Dodgers. And we're going to finish it up with the NL West. Arizona Diamondbacks two and a half above the Dodgers. This, to me, is the most competitive division in baseball right now. For San Francisco 49ers. San Francisco Giants are only four games back. They've won three in a row. You've got Colorado, who's four and a half back, who's having kind of a tumultuous season. I thought they would have been better, but... We'll see how it all comes down in the end. My picks are still the Cubs, the Nationals, and the Diamondbacks out of the NL. And I also will pick the easy picks and the Astros, the Yankees, and the Indians coming out of the AL in terms of division winners. But that's all the time we have this week, everybody. This has been the Sporting Edge with Roz and not Wits. Wits will be back next week as he'll be calling me as I am hanging out in the beautiful Austin, Texas. If you're in Austin, Texas and want to be on the show, why not just come give me a holler? DM us on Sporting Edge or at Ethan Rose 4 on Instagram. We'll be ready to rock and roll. Revolutionary talk for revolutionary times. Promoting peace, liberty, and prosperity around the clock. LibertyTalk.fm.